midlife. The Midwest. It's the middle class. The millennials. Baby boomers. West Coast. East Coast. The far right. The far left. What we need is some middle ground. Middle ground. Middle. Middle. Middle ground. (laughs) Yeah, let's do this thing. I'm Chris Otto. He's Chris Kelsch. Chris and Chris. Middle ground podcast. Episode three we're up to already. Rolling right along. Episode three. I'm telling you, we are on a, uh, this is episode three of season one. (laughs) <laughs> I think people are going to look back at our first season on the air or on whatever this is on the air online, whatever a podcast it can be and say, that's the year that Trump was running for president. You remember that? Remember way back before Trump was president? Before things got really weird. <laughs> that was when things were really starting to get weird. Now that Trump has a clear path to the presidency, uh, the time is coming when both of those wall projects are going to start in earnest the first wall of course being the one that trump suggested on the border of mexico keeping the mexicans out and the second wall being the one that canada will build to keep the americans out (laughs) (laughs) who's paying for that one the canadians (laughs) i think they're gonna make us pay for it god damn it (laughs) it's easy for me to see now looking back uh, how democracies are lost and how people come to these rash conclusions. I mean, it has to, it's obviously born out of frustration. And if the if people view that maybe the, perhaps America's best days are behind them, the economy's tanking, and we've lost these wars in the Middle East, I think if people really get in that mindset, they will turn to a, a person like Trump. It's sad. Um, I don't think he really has their best interests at heart. But he represents a huge, huge shift in attitudes in this country right now. He, he's calling it a movement. I guess technically you could call it that. But that's where we're at right now, for better or for worse. And a lot, now, now here's what's funny. People in the GOP now rising up to stop him. Don't you think they're a little late? Oh, I don't know, five, six months late on, in on this deal? Yeah, but can you imagine what it would be like by now if they'd been name calling and insulting each other like this for four or five months i mean it, it would have reached a fever pitch where people would have just revolted against all of them uh, i mean i think it was the wise thing to do to try to take the high road on the part of jeb bush and marco rubio and i mean ted cruz is who he is but uh you know i think holding out was the right thing to do i would have done the same thing now i don't know about the wisdom of turning on that strategy now and going out there and calling him, him names and insulting him back. I understand it. You know, let's go hit him with his, give him a dose of his own medicine. Let's hit him with the same kind of rhetoric. I get it. But it just. Like, the train has left the station. It's just like he's got momentum now. And now that seems like uh, it seems weak minded. I, I think they were just afraid of him. I think they were really afraid of the guy. I think some of them were. Yeah. I, I think Marco and his team. He never really seemed afraid of him. It just seemed like they wanted to take the high road. They wanted to talk policy, policy, policy. And um, now that it sort of came down to Rubio and Trump with Cruz in the mix, uh, and I think Rubio really got ticked off at what Chris Christie did to him a couple weeks ago in that debate where he robotically repeated the same sentence three times. It was a hit. It was an absolute hit. Oh, and, um, I, and I think he just decided at that point, screw it. We are just going to go both barrels at both of these guys. And you know, if we're going to be in this election, we're going to have to do it the way they're doing it which leads me to my next question i couldn't resist i was watching super tuesday so trump goes on stage introducing trump is uh, the new jersey wonder himself chris christie <laughs> it reeks at tony soprano it absolutely reeks of a new jersey handshake it absolutely reeks of a deal being cut hey i'll go after rubio i'll be your guy um, and in, and in, in an exchange for that, I don't know what he offered him. It's hard to imagine Trump winning the whole thing, but 
got it or handing out cabinet positions but he, there must have been a deal there or maybe a maybe a vp maybe a ticket maybe they share the ticket yeah because i think christie's done in new jersey six newspapers in new I jersey saw that. this morning asked for his resignation and i don't blame them you're kind of done once you go down that path you know what i mean well he is just being lambasted as being an opportunist and you know and meanwhile he's the freaking governor of the state what the hell's he been doing for the past six months that's what i mean either go home or govern or go home and govern or leave you've got two different things i don't know it's, it does re it and he looks so awkward on stage I heard one, uh, I think it was a congressman or somebody said he looked like a, it was a hostage situation. <laughs> <laughs> like he was just in so much pain. Like, Well, the only thing, when I think of those guys as meeting together and hatching out these little schemes and these little things they have going on, I never visualize them as like in suits and meeting in a hotel conference room or very special meeting places or anything like that. I view them as always taking place in like a massage parlor or a steam bath where they're both getting <laughs> rub downs and talking about strategy. It never takes place in conventional places. That's just a hunch I have. I'll share that with you. Well, you, you know what it reminds me of, though? It reminds me of like, uh, I don't know if you ever had a fight in elementary school where the whole school weighed in and it was, you know, <laughs> bully. I had that. My lifetime record was two and three. Yeah. That, well, I, I never, well, I, I actually got in one, but no, the the big ones where it was like the school bully against oh, the yeah. school wuss and then everyone's signing petitions and who's going to win and <laughs> you know Billy's going to kick Greg's ass and tomorrow they're going to fight before first hour so everyone show up at everyone comes before first hour and then you see one of Billy's friends standing on the bully's side, the traitor that went over to the bully's side. It's like, dude, oh, yeah. you know, that's what it reminds me of. Like Christie <laughs> lost and knows he's, he wants to be on the side of the winner. So he went over to be friends with the bully. I think he's, it could be, you know, it could be a Trump Christie ticket. Or maybe he ends up, you know, Secretary of the Interior or something. I, I yeah, we, <laughs> we can't send him overseas, Chris. I'm glad you stopped at that. We can't send that guy out representing the United States in the Middle East. They, he, the way he thinks world leaders would laugh him off the stage. No, That's you know what he could be? He, I think Trump should make him ambassador to Mexico. <laughs> One, they've got a lot of great <laughs> food down there. A lot of tacos. A lot of tacos. He should... <laughs> He should make him ambassador to New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I like that. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what else you got? A fun week. I... Did you see Aaron Andrews this week? Her trial started in Nashville where she's suing that uh, the loser who took those videos of her through the hotel room door. I did, I did see that. But I hope she wins. Seriously, I hope. The, the fact that that hotel gave out her hotel room number and allowed that guy to rent the room right next to her. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a little frightening. Yes, it is. It is. They should have never done I agree. There's got to be privacy issues yeah. there. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. But more importantly, my question for you, did you watch those videos a few years ago? Yeah, the answer is yes, I did. Um, she's, uh, for, you know, Erin Andrews, a sports reporter. I mean, most reporters on TV tend to be good looking. She's oh, no, come on, dude. Erin Andrews very, is not very, just good looking. Erin Andrews is the hottest female sports reporter out there. That's, I mean, you got to give her that. She's, yeah, I will give her that. She's beautiful. Um, and obviously, um, yeah, the answer is yeah, I did watch the videos. Absolutely. I'll come out and admit it. I, I saw them. 
I didn't, you know, seek them out necessarily, but I, I saw them. But I felt a little skanky watching them. Yeah, so did I, because she was. A, it was a private moment for her, and uh, you know, it's. Um, I, I felt skanky, and then I didn't. <laughs> but um, no, I agree. I, I did, but it. You know, you're watching someone in, in their private moments, and it's not like she made a sex tape or anything like that. Where you know, boy, we hope this never gets out. Wink, wink, and you know, the person's famous and right. all that. So no, I, I felt skanky, and um, I felt really bad for her. Um, but she benefited. I, I hate to say that. God, that's so cold. The way I, I think it's that. coincidence that her career took off after that. I mean, maybe there are a lot more people who knew her name than than wouldn't have otherwise. But she was she was on the upswing anyway, career wise. Um, but try to put myself in her shoes or in one of these celebrity shoes who has these videos or these pictures that get released. I mean. You know, dealing with it now is one thing. You've chosen to be in the public eye, so maybe that's a price for fame these days. But 10, 20 years down the road when you have kids and they're going to see that all over the Internet, I, I, I mean, maybe maybe life will be different. The world will be a different place in 10 or 20 years and public nudity or nudity on the Internet. Well, public nudity. <laughs> oh, that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast episode right there. Wow. Public nudity. That. I love your optimism. <laughs> I love your well, well, maybe, you know, she's sitting there going, well, maybe in 25, 30 years, my kids will be old enough and everybody will be doing that. God, I hope that's how it plays out. <laughs> uh, which reminds me, and I don't know why this reminds me, this is a really bad segue. But another thing, so Scott Kelly came home this week, right? All I do is fuck off on the internet all day, and you hit me with three fucking news stories that I, somehow I missed them. I, it's inexcusable. <laughs> Obviously, I fuck uh, off all day and read this shit, and you just threw three under my chin that I never saw coming. Where the fuck have I been? If okay, I, if you know I'm what? Good at- <laughs> you got to start reading something other than BuzzFeed. Come on. <laughs> I love the websites that dumb things down for you. I love them basically <laughs> saying I'm a fucking retard. Can you simplify this for me? Yeah, well, that's what you've got the Huffington Post for, BuzzFeed. <laughs> Good one, dude. Good yeah. One. So Scott Kelly, astronaut, International Space Station for 340 fucking days. This guy has been in space with, I don't know, a couple of Russian cosmonauts or something. <laughs> but so... As I'm watching this or, or reading about it, I start thinking to myself, you know they've done studies about sex in space. You know, since the first female went up in space, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, there has to have been sex in space. They have to study that. And I want to know when we're going to find out about it because it was done with taxpayer money through NASA, I'm sure. Yeah, the reports have to be made public at some point. And who knows, these guys, all even if they weren't sanctioned to do it or not told to do it or not to do it, 340 days? Let's be honest, Chris. Uh, dudes are dudes. You're going to get bored. You're going to try some stuff. The reason they said, I, I didn't know why he stayed up there for so long, but I was reading about it today. They want to see the effect of weightlessness on the human body for that length of time, looking forward to the day when we perhaps might have people live on Mars. It's so far away that human beings don't live long enough to be able to come back. So you go on Mars, that's it. You got to kiss Earth goodbye, and you're spending your life there. So I have to believe they'd, they've studied sex in space. Yeah, they would have to have. And I bet you they'll be amazingly disappointed in what they came across. It doesn't look, it, it's hard enough to do here on the Earth. I mean, get it up in space, it's got to be close to impossible. Can you imagine how messy that would be? That's messy. <laughs> it's not comfortable. I think at some level, you need gravity for the balance. 
and the shit that would be floating through the air. I mean, the other the other astronauts in other parts of the spaceship would be, you know, stuff would be hitting them in the eye and in the forehead. And now the good news is you could you could probably grab it with your hand, because um, it's not moving that fast. Based on the space movies I've seen, if it's just floating around, you could probably snag it. But the whole thing seems messy. It seems like a lot of work. And when anything, anytime anything becomes more work than fun, human beings being what they are, are just going to decline to do it. I think that's, I think that's how that I, I totally disagree. See, I think you're being way pessimistic about this. I, I am thinking about the positions that would be possible that aren't possible on Earth. Think about that. Okay, like a, like a, like a mid-air reverse cowgirl type of thing. Is that what you're thinking? Well, you're losing out on the leverage. You got nothing to push against to get leverage. But yeah, you you don't have the limitation of the bed or the floor. You're you're suspended in midair. But you said it yourself. You're suspended with no leverage. So how that it's a non-starter. It's impossible. No, I'm thinking hands on hips kind of ah, all right. positional impossible. maneuvering in space. Yeah. All right. Well, someone's going to bump their head. I think that's inevitable, but uh <laughs> Yeah, it makes me want to be an astronaut. Not me. No? No, I'm fine down here on the earth. That's where it's at. Yeah, because you're doing just fine. Give us, uh, yeah. you got to give us the weekly Tinder update. Let's have it. Now we're there. Nothing. I got no Come Tinder on. updates. I got a, I got pinged by a, a woman on LinkedIn that you and I met at the uh, Chicago Athletic Club. Uh, and she wants to, she left Forever 21. You know, the one after we were making fun of her for working at Forever 21. Right. Really nice girl. Uh, so she left Forever 21 and she's working at Trunk Club. And I don't oh, know if you know what yeah. Trunk Club is. No, you I've, know what that I've is? I've gotten solicited by them. I actually I made the mistake of giving them my name. I think I signed up at one point and then they just badgered me with calls. And I was like, oh, screw that. Yeah. So she hits me up on LinkedIn saying, hey, I'm at, I left Forever 21, I'm at Trunk Club now, and I think you would be, be great for we this. We should explain what Trunk Club is, though. So, so it's, they're basically, they shop for you, right? You tell them your style, and they'll yeah. like, find clothes for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't yeah. know why you would need that, but. I don't know why you would, and also I had a friend at work that did it. Oh, I'm going to Trunk Club. They present, and at the end, you know, you've got some interesting choices that maybe a female would make for you. Maybe it's a little bit more stylistic or whatever, but you're sitting there with a bill of like $600, and you've got a couple of jeans and some shirts. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? So uh, I like the idea of, of, you know, the cute girl shopping for me. That part turns you on. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm hip. I'm with it. I'm not ready to pay the price for it. You know what I mean? No. So scumbag that I am. Uh, sent her a note back on LinkedIn and said, hey, I'd, I'd love to stop on over. I understand you guys got a store now in River North. Uh, why don't I stop by, say hi, see what you guys got, and then we could go out for drinks. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just taking advantage of this opportunity to maybe go meet her and see what's going on. Because I thought she was cute. Yeah, I remember. I don't remember exactly, but I do have an impression that she was not unattractive. <laughs> And we'll leave it at no, that. I, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not being flippant. I just, I, I don't really remember her, but I, yeah, I remember we kept talking to her because so she must have been attractive. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because you and I don't waste time with people who. Oh, aren't. why should we? We're too busy. <laughs> We're way too busy. I got things going on. You're ugly. I'm we got to talk about sex and space. There's stuff to get to. I got podcasts to start. I got things to do.
Don't talk to you me. You got you're, stuff going on. We all got stuff going on, that's right. so it's cool. Yeah, I'm a six. You're a four. There's no reason for me to converse with you. <laughs> Please, Chris, let's stay away from the actual <laughs> numerical figures. It's too depressing. Uh, yeah. Anyway, actually, speaking of Trunk Club, uh, I signed up for Harry's this week. Do you know what Harry's is? I No, I do not know what that it's is. It's the shaving thing. Oh, nice. Yeah. I've heard good things. Oh, cool. But I ran out of blades for my Gillette Atra quadruple quadro yeah. hyper power whatever blade it is. And I went to the store. It was like $16 for five of them. And I, th- I hate that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's like the most expensive item you're ever going to buy at a grocery store are blades for your freaking razor. So I know. It's crazy. So I looked it up, and they will send you a free shaving kit at, you know, to, as a trial. With the shaving cream, uh, a couple of blades, the the razor, and then they ask you how often you shave. And depending on how often you shave, they schedule you like two, three months out to send you uh, r- refills. And then at that point, they start charging you money. <laughs> Is it a good blade? I don't know. I haven't gotten it yet. I'm excited. I'll report back. Yeah. You need to report back. I'll give you the cool, – cool, you cool. give your Tinder report every week. I'll give you my Harry's report. <laughs> All right. Uh, we need to get to our guest. We've got a special guest this week. We're going to use, just like we did uh, last week with Rachel, we're going to use a different name because he really wanted to have the freedom to talk about some things that are sensitive to talk about and didn't want to worry about his identity. So we're going to call him Roy. But uh, 66 years old, retired after working for the state of Michigan for decades. But the year 1969 in his life, which two things happened to him that would go on to literally change and affect the rest of his life. He was in Vietnam in 1969 and was wounded and came home. And after coming home, he got his girlfriend pregnant accidentally, and she made the decision to put the child up for adoption. So we're going to hear a lot about that. But also today, just in the past six months, he has begun the search for what his, his birth son. He did know that it was a boy, but didn't know anything after that. So uh, be interesting to see what happens with the search. So I want to welcome to Middle Ground. Here is Roy. Roy. Roy is here with us today. Roy, Roy thanks for joining us. Ground. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So you and I have known each other for less than a year because I came up here into the woods of Michigan to rent a cottage, and it was your cottage that I found. And we've become pretty good friends since then. And become now you're, great friends, that's for sure. And now you you didn't even know what a podcast was when I came up here. No, now I, I didn't. I was, <laughs> was going to say, that's part of the story. The guy went up to the woods to write a book and accidentally started a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great, though? That's right. So you are you you've been up here at uh, up at this lake for decades. So I have. what, what I, brought you here? I actually uh, came up here when I was ten years old, and uh, my mother and my stepfather, who had gotten together, I moved in with them uh, in Lower Michigan, and my stepfather had a cottage up here, and uh, we came up as kids, my brother and I, and. Uh, certainly as a kid and being able to be on the boat and be on the lake and meet all the other kids that were in the same situation, it really was very, very fun as, as a 10-year-old to, to come up. But as the years went by and the hunting, the fishing, all the things that, that went with it became part of me. And this town has no stoplights. <laughs> it has two tiny little sort of grocery stores, but they're really more like a 
convenience store. Yeah. One of them, well, actually, they both look a lot like a general store. One's a converted train depot. Yeah, the train depot that uh, the, the train used to come up through here from Detroit. Uh, the town was a resort. And the trains came here and dropped people off, and, and they stayed in the little cottages and rented them. And it was a logging community back, you know, hundred years ago. And the, on the lake, there was a brothel, right, uh, for the men. There actually were several, really, um, uh, on on each lake, and and they had their own people that owned them, and and that's what they did. There, there there's one little area on one of the lakes that uh, there's five little cottages that are no more than 10 feet apart from each other and the guy built them for that purpose and uh, <laughs> five little motel rooms people came here for uh, since the uh for sex it, it sounds like that's why well people came yeah here. people came here <laughs> that's why i went to michigan <laughs> <laughs> that's true well, a lot of what, people think it's the great lake state that's actually a misnomer no that's where you go to get it on everyone knows that now. yeah <laughs> 56 years in the middle of michigan in a small town why didn't you ever leave? What kept you here? My heart really has always been here. Mm. Uh, family naturally uh, was here uh, with my skills, and, and I'm a carpenter by trade and, and a contractor by trade, and it, it's what I always love to do. Uh, could I have done better had I moved to Chicago uh, or to L.A., of course? I look at property values in L.A., and it scares the hell out of me. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that people pay that much money for a house but but that's why i stayed it it really is my heart and soul you joined the military at a very young age didn't didn't go to college out of high school what was that decision all about this is this must be 68 uh it was actually uh i graduated from high school in 67 and i was 17 years old because i started school uh at four and so when the wait 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 i just have to stop chris are you going to the bathroom no <laughs> what's going on over there I, i'm hearing weird noises nothing <laughs> nothing he says <laughs> wow okay did that microphone pick that up? oh That's we can incredible. pick up everything yeah i can <laughs> i know exactly what's going on <laughs> i'm doing all right I, I was surprised that this came up uh, yeah. <laughs> a lot it, better so, okay, so I, I was distracted by the bathroom visit. Um, <laughs> so was I. <laughs> so, but we're back. So anyway, in my, in my time period at the age I was at, Vietnam was uh, really cranked up about the year I was getting ready to graduate from high school. You were going to get drafted, so you either joined or you volunteered for oh, the so, draft, so which I did. you knew you were going anyway, so you I, just decided I'm going to... I had my draft card. I had, had my number. I knew I was going, and... and uh, I, I would easily say that I was somewhat of a hellraiser when I was in high school, and uh, they took my driver's license away. I had 26 points on my driving record. 26 and, points? Yeah. How do you get 26 points on your driver's license? It, it's called a dedicated police force in a small town to make <laughs> this guy go oh, away. Oh, you're right. It was the, it was the law enforcement. <laughs> it was their fault. No, they were it, too strict. It, it, it was mine, but they're the ones that made the decision that we either got to give him a ticket after ticket after ticket to how make you go. You can't even run a red light in this town because there aren't any. How, but, how do you get a ticket like I, that many I tickets? I would tell you I actually got a ticket one time for going too slow. <laughs> and so going in the Army was, was the only thing I could do at that point. And all my friends were going. We, we had a party for a friend that was joining the Marines. 
and he was leaving and we had a party for him and in the middle of the night we're all drunked up and I looked at him and I said if I can go with all of my friends that are in this room on the same day I'm joining tomorrow so, wow, so it was just a big party for it, it well everybody partied because everybody was leaving I mean it, it emptied towns out of people our age so uh, did you all join together well the the people before me were drafted but there were 40 people that were leaving on March 21st, 1968 from my city. Wow. And so I went, I went down about a week before that to the draft board. And I told the, the sergeant that was there that, you know, if you can make me go with them on the same day, I'll sign up right now. And he looked at me and he, all he had was a silly grin on his face. And he went, no problem, buddy. Sign yeah, me. Right. I'm sure. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Did you have any opinion about, America's place in Vietnam or what you were fighting for? Did you care about the political ramifications or was it? Well, you, when, when you were my age, you came from a long line of, of people that were in your family that were soldiers to begin with. Yeah. And my dad was a Marine and he served in the South Pacific and in not a good time, but really a pride thing more than anything. You felt proud of your country. You felt the need to serve your country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt that way. I, I knew one way or another I would, and I, and I really didn't have an issue with it at that point. I, I knew I was going, so I joined. Did did I think when I volunteered for the draft that that, that I would go to Vietnam? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know. I didn't give it a lot of thought. Um, but readily when I uh, uh, got into the Army, finished basic training, they sent me to Fort Polk, Louisiana for infantry training, I woke up. Mm. Um, and realized that's where I was going. And uh, in all that time, I never had had a leave. And that was six months' time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I uh, was able to, to know that I was going on leave. But the MPs came into the company that I was in that, that night, that the graduating class that I had just trained, uh, they came in, they brought four buses into the camp and they proceeded to escort every soldier in that company onto the buses and they spent the night on the bus and the buses drove to Detroit and they went to Vietnam that day. Wow. Uh, That's how it was back then. It was all about numbers. Um, When I got to Vietnam, uh, we were up to 550,000 men that were on the ground the entire time, and it was a rotating one-year service. Mm-hmm. So, so when you got when you hit the ground, you knew you were there for a year at yes. least. And after you arrived there, how long was it before you actually saw action? Well, we we were. I was in the 101st Airborne, and and it was interesting in that when I got there, and and uh, my company of of people that I was being assigned to were in on a three-day stand-down is what they called it. And in talking to those people, I, I said, well, so what's been going on? Some of them have been there for six months. Some have been there for three months. Some had been there for nine months. And uh, they all said, oh, don't worry about it. We, I've been here five months. We haven't seen action the entire time we've been here. So I, I thought I'd won the lottery. <laughs> and uh, so... The following Monday, after I joined my company, we we get orders, and the orders are that uh, 
one of the largest military strikes that, that the 100 Air Force, 101st Airborne made in Vietnam uh, was uh, called Massachusetts Striker. And I w being an air mobile unit, we were delivered by helicopter. And so we got all our gear, we got on the helicopters, uh, the helicopters took off and uh, being, being in the infantry, one of the things you know is that when you're coming into a landing zone that if there's red smoke, that means it's a hot LZ and the bullets are flying. So I watched the first helicopter land and immediately red smoke. I watched the second helicopter land and our guys are jumping off the helicopters and running to the perimeter of this hill that we were inserted on and my helicopter hits the ground barely and we all jump out and we all head to the outer perimeter and the uh, the bullets are flying and and I go to the outer perimeter and I hear a whoosh and it was a RPG round flying right by my head and the uh, Vietnamese soldier was shooting at the next helicopter that was going to land and the the RPG round blew up prior to getting to the to the helicopter and so that all the rest of the entire battalion wasn't able to come in that night and so we spent the night uh, fighting all night long in the dark um, we certainly had uh, support from our helicopter gunships and and we would call in our gunships for supporting fire but we fought all night long um, to clear the hill and so you you've been in Vietnam for less than a week at this point I think it was almost two weeks but and still and you're pretty much you know hurling yourself out of a helicopter into a into a gun battle but but we were trained for this if that makes trained sense. for six weeks prior two months earlier you were drinking beer in your small town on a uh, lake yeah someone <laughs> when you go through something that profound I was curious how that changed you because and Chris you and I will probably verify this when you're that young you know, if you're a dumb college student or if you're just a dumb kid living in a small town, whatever it is, when you're that at that age, you have no concept that your time in this life is, is limited and that you're on some kind of clock. And rightfully so. I mean, you don't think about those things at that age. But was there a time even in that two weeks where you thought, oh, my God, if I get out of this alive, I am going to make the most use of my life and my talents and not waste any opportunities and really live it to the fullest. Did that change your perception of what life actually could be? It, it did, um, but it's when I got wounded that that probably really happened. Um, and, and it wasn't that day. Uh, we Our job was to go out and secure the area in what's called the Ashaw Valley. So we would go on sorties or whatever into the jungle. Probably three weeks into that whole process, we we were heading up to secure a hill. We knew that the enemy was uh, on top of this one hill or even prior to that. And I can remember that we're going up this hill. I'm listening to the bombs hit at the top of the hill. Uh, we get up there and, and there's a crater that is smoking from the bombs that had hit it. And we, we had stopped there and I climbed up to the edge of it and, and, and I kind of looked down the ridge and all of a sudden I could see the enemy running up the hill to the top of the hill off this ridge and then it just started all over again. This, this was my every day. Uh, it, it's what happened there. Um, so after, after that, we lost several men on that hill. 
many, many people were wounded and, and shipped back. And then the following day, we had done point the day before, and we were chosen to do point again. And me being a squad leader, uh, I said to the one guy, I said, well, it's your job to walk point today. And he goes, I just did it the day before. I'm not doing it. And, and, and so him and I are in a bit of an argument. And, and uh, so one of the other guys, and he's one of them that had been in country for nine months. And he goes to the other guy, shut the hell up. I'll walk point today. He gets no more than 30 steps into the jungle and the, and the bullets are flying again. Uh, he was killed. Uh, I was the third guy back. So uh, the one guy that, that went to the left, and, and he was just in front of me. They shot him and killed him. Uh, and at that point, with the bullets flying and the rockets flying and all the hell that, that had busted loose, I literally put my, my head and, and my whole body, if you were to ask me how I felt about it, I, I felt my entire body was inside my steel pot, which was my helmet. And, and I laid my head on the ground and, and I said a prayer and I said, dear God, please get me out of here right now. And I couldn't even finish the word now. And I was shot in the leg. And, uh, so did you realize in that moment that getting shot right there was going to be your ticket home? So yes, that's that point that you're you're talking about about you know how do you come to grips with it? How do you feel about it? What what's going on in your mind as a as a young boy? I mean, I didn't feel I was a boy at 19 years old, but but yeah, I was. Um, but it be you you transfer to survival mode, and survival mode is every minute. It, it's like somebody wants to kill you every minute. So, but you. You credit that moment, actually, that moment where you asked, I guess, asked God or asked, you know, your higher power to get you out of there and instantly you were shot in the leg. You credit that with a lifetime of, of pretty devoted religion. I had faith to begin with, but but at that point, how do you deny that a miracle just happened? Mm -hmm. You don't. So I face that at that point and, and through my life, I've had many similar circumstances that that have happened with that that I would call miracles and I don't know if, if there's that many people in this world that see miracles but that certainly was one you know that took place almost 50 years ago how often do you think about that day periodically I would tell you probably a lot but do I think about it every day no do do I have dreams or nightmares about uh, uh, being back in Vietnam, yes, but maybe once a year. It, it's not something that that hangs on every breath. But I don't just I don't don't just credit God. I credit the spirit that it gave me to be one of the strongest individuals that you'd ever want to meet. So, at 19 years old, Vietnam was only the second major thing that happened to you at that age. You actually had a baby with a girlfriend, and that baby was given up for adoption. It was before Vietnam. Um, uh, I met this girl, but she actually was from the same town, and I, I knew her. But our dating time, probably, I'm going to say, because I was in the Army. Right. Um, so I was gone, but prior to going to Vietnam, I was my 30-day leave. Hmm. And uh, so, so we dated, we hung out, we 
we made love. We did all the things that people do at that that stage, um, and, and we felt committed to each other. Um, so then, after that short dating period, that's I left for for Vietnam, and uh, uh, in my secondary evacuation from from the field, uh, I was sent to uh, Japan uh, to a hospital in Japan, and. Uh, while there, I received a letter from her, and she basically informed me that that she was pregnant and was going to have have a child. And uh, I was shocked because I really hadn't. I probably had only gotten one letter, maybe two letters prior to that five month stretch. Um, good or bad, I think that probably gave me time to reflect on what my life was all about and. And, you know, when you find out you're going to have a child, you you think about a lot of different things. And, and for me, my childhood wasn't necessarily a happy one in that my mom and dad were divorced. They both were remarried. They both had kids. Um, I didn't see a lot of happiness outside of the happiness I created for myself. Uh, with, so you didn't have a lot of model experiences to look to that were healthy parent-child relationships and family experiences. Absolutely not. So yeah. this this girl gets pregnant with your child, and you're thinking, I, I don't really see this. I don't see how to make this work. Well, I, re I really didn't look at it like that. I, I didn't think about me, and I didn't think about her. Mm -hmm. um, my, my thought process went directly to, okay, so I'm, I'm going to have a baby, and... Do I want them to grow up like I had to? Do, I, I don't know whether this lady and I would would get married would because we weren't married. Would, would we stay together? Would we be together for six months and end up in a divorce? And now what happens with this child? Um, that really is where my, my thoughts went to immediately was for the child, not for myself and not, not for his mother. So did she make the decision alone or did you have a discussion with her and have a role in that decision? Um, so when I, I did get a leave, I went home, I had a big discussion with her about it. I sat right down and, and, uh, she was, I'm guessing seven months pregnant at that time. And, uh, uh, we had a long talk and, and we just kind of come to a consensus between the two us, two of us that, Maybe the right thing to do was to adopt the child out so that they had a chance to uh, be somewhere where not only were they loved, but they had a stable family and that they could grow up, he could grow up or she could grow up and be, uh, be in a loving situation. I, I certainly didn't have one as a child, and, and it scared the hell out of me that, that I was going to father a child that would have to go through what I went through. It wasn't about abandoning a child. No. Why? I'm listening to you, and it makes complete sense. You, you, there's an opportunity to give the child a good life, and there are so many uh, couples out there that want to give a, you know, a good life to a child and raise a child that you know can't have kids or whatever. It just makes me wonder why more people don't think like that. You know what I mean? Why don't more people give kids up for adoption? I mean, I you know I live in the I'm not not in the inner city ghetto, inner city, but I see kids every day that like these people shouldn't be parents. They're young kids, they're teenage kids. They shouldn't be raising children. And why not give the children? I'm just saying it's it seems like a, a common sense way to 
raise. I, I don't know. I just I applaud the way you were thinking back then. And I, I, what I was saying is, I don't. I, it surprises more. It surprises me more. People don't think like that. Well, I okay. Th- this is this hasn't come up yet on the podcast, but I'm sure it will in the future. So I'm adopted, right? And uh, I think I didn't know that you didn't. No. This is something that Chris, that that Roy and I have sort of bonded over since we met. Uh, Roy recently, in fact, since we've met, has decided. I'll, I'll let you tell it, but has decided to to find out more about this child that he gave up for adoption so many years ago. I've, as the adoptee, I've gone through that whole process myself, and I can say that that a woman who the prospect of carrying a child for nine months is. Uh, you know, the three of us here are, you know, we've all got penises, right? So we can't, we can't imagine what it we would don't. be like. We can't imagine. Well, I, I can't speak for you two, but we can't imagine what it would be like to have a child inside of our bodies for nine months and then go through the process of giving birth to it and then hand it to a nurse and never see it again. And that, in my experience, and I've met a lot of people who've, been, who've given ch- children up for adoption, adopted children, and it's a very difficult thing to do is give away a child that you have thought for nine months uh, about and eaten the right things and made sure you got sleep and cared for it. And, and it, you know, that's almost a year of your life that you gave to, to gestating a child and then to give it away is a very devastating thing. Well, and, and not just that, it, it, for me, it was devastating to have, to have made that decision to do that. And it, it really is something that has been on my mind since the day it happened. Uh, over the years, 40, you know, this, your son now is probably in his mid forties, 45, 46, 46 years. How often was he on your mind? I, I'm not going to say every day because that would be a lie, but I would tell you an awful lot. Yeah. Um, I always wanted to know the answers. Um, more so not to, I don't want to get into his life unless he wants me to get into his life. I, I want him to know what my health issues are. I want him to know what his heritage is. Um, I want him to know whatever he might want to know. Um, and, I, and I readily would share every bit of it, including the story of how his mother and I got together and, and the discussions thereof and how it all happened. So anyway, I'm still in the middle of, of my search, and the the paperwork uh, has been filed and is out there, and and hopefully if he decides that he wants to meet me, my information is there, and he can readily do that if he ever decides he might want to. So, and I hope he does for you. I know it's important to you, but what, uh, you never had your own children? I did not. I, I was married the second time for 31 years. We never had children. It really was her choice that if she wasn't going to have any of her own, she wasn't going to have any. And that's not really why we split up. She she decided she just wanted to go in another direction with her life, and she did. So Why did you split up? Well, she, she found another man. I mean, it it is what it is. Actually, he was a, a, a friend of a friend that... that kind of stepped into our lives through our motorcycle riding and other things that we did. And uh, uh, they started having an affair, and I had no clue they were having an affair. 31 years of, of marriage. Yep, 31 years. 
you're at that point you're starting to look towards retirement where are you going to live what are you going to do when you mm. retire how much money do you got in the bank all of those things and uh well yeah i i, I mean obviously in any sort of situation in a marriage where one partner cheats which is obviously very common these days but being together that long and reaching a certain age where you're the two of you are looking at at least the second half or the final quarter of your lives or whatever it is that's that's pretty late in the game i didn't even know it was allowed at that age i have to confess sorry about that but what does the end of that look like what is that because again you've shown uh whether through vietnam or you've shown this amazing ability or willpower or spirit or whatever you want to call it to begin again to continue to strive and to seek and to look for answers and and to continue to get the most out of life. I mean, that's amazing. You're just amazingly resilient. I think you developed a lot of that in Vietnam. I I think that I I developed it as a very young child because of the relationship between my mother and father. Um, I I learned to survive when I was a baby. Uh, my mother would would tell me a lot that. I would just lay in my bed by myself, be very quiet, no crying. I just, I, I think that I just learned that I needed to survive all along. And through that learning process, I developed a, a very positive attitude. What, so what was going on in your house at that time that you were protecting yourself from? Well, my, my father was abusing my mother. Uh, physically? Physically. Um, and, and it was frequent and he was an alcoholic and, uh, uh, he worked very hard, but uh, uh, I would say that if anybody's life was affected by war more than mine was, it was his. Uh, as a as a Marine, he he was in about every uh, campaign in the South Pacific that that you can think of. Um, World War Two. In World War Two, and and he never ever would talk about it, um, and and as I grew older and and met people that knew him. It, when he was in high school, which he grew up in the town where I grew up, and and every one of them talked about what a sweetheart my father was, what a good guy he was, how he would do anything for anybody uh, to try to help. Uh, and then they knew him immediately when he came back from the war, and, and every one of them, the first thing out of their mouth, said that the day he came home, he was not the same person. That, that his pain and his war and his trials and tribulations, he never settled into it, and he drank to erase his pain. Mm -hmm. So when you look back, and I, you know, I hear, I've heard my grandparents say this, you hear people say this all the time, I have no regrets. I have no regrets. I think that's bullshit. I mean, I'm 48 years old. I look back, I have tons of regrets. I have lots of things that I would have done differently if I were given another chance. Uh, and you had some, you've had some trying times. You've had a lot of things happen to you that, that would have broken a lot of people. And as you say, you've gathered strength from it. What do you regret? What do you wish was different? I would say, you know, right now, we're, we're talking a lot of years later that, that I would love to meet my birth son. Um, so, so that would be different. Um, would I take a different Do you steps? wish that hadn't happened the way that it happened? Do you wish now that 
I uh, always I always felt that I wished it hadn't happened. In the day that it happened, I wished it hadn't. So hadn't, hadn't happened in terms of you wish you hadn't gotten pregnant or you wish the two of you hadn't made that decision to give him up for adoption? I can't say that I feel that way because I wouldn't have made the decision if I hadn't have felt at the time, and I still do, that for him it probably was the right decision because of the way that my life was well and that and that's yeah then that's kind of a rationalization i think a lot of people say well i don't have any regrets because you know we all make mistakes when you're young but then depending on the outcome of that the rest of your life turns out okay so you think oh well that's you know that's the way it was supposed to be or it turned out but when it comes down to it we all did things that were stupid and we probably wish if we had to do them again we wouldn't make that choice even though you know the butterfly effect would come upon it and the rest of your life may not have turned out that way, but a, a regret is a regret. I, I mean, I think... If I hadn't got 26 points and lost my driver's license as a teenager, I may not have volunteered for the draft. <laughs> <laughs> this, Yeah, I mean, this really all comes down to being a better driver. <laughs> yes, it really does. This is a you know? very long commercial and a public service <laughs> announcement for... Yeah. I, I, I look at it in terms of... Do I regret marrying my first wife? Yes, because I said it. Uh, we knew better. Why in the hell did we get married? But that didn't necessarily have a lot of long-term ramifications. The, the pregnancy didn't come out of that marriage. Yeah, uh, but did the pregnancy happy happen because of that relationship? Yes. Ah, uh, okay, gotcha. Be, because that relationship, we broke up, split up, yeah, got back together m more on her part than mine. I was I was driven like a train right. by her. She she manipulated me. She she ran my life. Um, so so yeah, I was I was broken up from her at the time. My birth son's mother and I got together, and that might not have happened that way had I not continued to go to that abuse. Right. Well, let's do what all Americans do and find someone to blame for this. It does sound like it's that first wife. We got to get her on the <laughs> show next week. Because she, if she never remarried, like you said, you ran into her and she's like, "I never met." It sounds like she's the kind of person that shouldn't be married. Literally, that's what she sounds like. And I know that's passing, uh, passing harsh judgment, but that's what it comes off as. So you're happy with how that turned out? You're you're married now to Michelle, who's yes. your your third yes. wife, and yes beautiful woman much well much younger than you i guess we can say she's 12 or 13 years younger yeah, but than do you do you think she's prettier than i am oh she's way prettier than you are <laughs> though chris and i prefer a 20 year spread you're doing the right thing with the classic 10 year 20 spread. i'm That's thinking 25 way, way to go with this way to be socially acceptable i guess is what we're saying chris and i are past that point we're past being nice michelle is very supportive of your uh your efforts to find your, your birth son. But I, I want to ask you, you know, as you go through that, and I know uh, you're at the moment you're waiting to hear back if, if, to see if he's interested in contact, what do you want out of it? And how is that influenced by the fact that you yourself never had children? Would it be different if you'd had your own children, two or three kids who are now grown and, you know. That, that's a tough one because I don't think it would be different, but that's easy to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've said all along that I want to make sure that, that 
if he ever reaches out and, and says, okay, I would like to be contacted or if the intermediary service were able to, to contact him and ask him that, that I would love to, to meet him. I would love to know about him. I would, uh, love for him to share his experiences with me, but I do not by any means want to inject my life into his life. Right. He, I gave up that right a long time ago. Um, but, but that doesn't mean that I don't care or that I don't want to, or that, that, uh, it, at that point, what, whatever he wants is, is what I will give whatever that might be. I think it is, uh, interesting that you, after coming through a lot of traumatic events, you know, wounded in war and, uh, the, the giving away of adoption of a child and then a couple of marriages that didn't work out the way obviously you would have planned them and and who among us has a life that goes the way they planned it um but your response to that as a human being and going through this journey was it made you a more introspective softer spirit who soft but strong spirit that knew you could get through these things but that relationships and kindness and uh, doing the right thing were important. And I think that that in itself is impressive because so many people go through maybe one of those events that you went through, two of them at the most or three, and addiction and abuse and criminal activity. And, you know, these are the people that end up as addicts and um, uh, prisoners and, and maybe even calling it quits and taking their own life. But it's... It's amazing how you took all of those events and and turned it into to a positive place where you are now. And uh, I'd just like to thank you for coming in, for sharing your stories, and I hope this was a good experience for you. We appreciate it. Well, thanks for listening, and and I enjoyed talking with both of you. And uh, it it opens up old wounds when you talk about things like this, but sometimes they need to be open to let it all out. So I appreciate it. No, I think it was great. Thanks for coming. And thank you, Roy, for sharing all that. And obviously you've had an amazing journey, and I hope that you continue on. I hope you have another 30, 40 years. I mean, you've got a great run. And And I'm just going to say it right here. He's got a hot wife, too. So, you know, I, ho- <laughs> I hope he's got another 40 or 50 Should, years. Shouldn't that keep you going? Hey, if that won't, what will? Thanks again, Roy. I appreciate it. And thanks, everybody. Have a good week. Remember, if you look hard enough, you will always find middle ground. See ya. See ya.